Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Progressive Bitcoiner. I'm your host, Trey Walsh, and today we have on the show one of my favorite Bitcoin educators out there, Anita Posh. Uh, Anita was one of the big reasons where I, why I got into Bitcoin in the first place, and I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Anita is, for many of you that know, a Bitcoin educator. Um, she runs a nonprofit called Bitcoin for Fairness, another education initiative called Crack the Orange, and just does so much in the space for Bitcoin education and focusing on Bitcoin education throughout uh, Africa and the global south. Um, so in this conversation, we talk about her work in, in Africa. We talk about different monetary issues in places like Zimbabwe and what using Bitcoin actually looks like in these areas and why it's so important uh, in the face of totalitarian regimes and a lot of conversations that we try to put forward in this podcast to make sure that folks know what Bitcoin is, why it's so important, and how, how folks are using it on the ground. And the role of Bitcoin education is absolutely key. And not only education of just a quick touch point, but as we talk about ongoing education and locals being taught so that they can continue teaching um, in their own context and different use cases for Bitcoin. So I really enjoyed this conversation and I want to thank Anita for being so gracious and, and coming on the show. Um, and so be sure to check out all of Anita's resources as well, which you can find in the show notes. And we discuss in the show, her nonprofit, how to donate if you're interested uh, and how to support Anita's work and the awesome stuff that she's doing out there. So thank you, Anita. And as always, if you have any questions or comments about the show, please feel free to email me at hello at progressivebitcoiner.com. And we will see you again next week. Hi, Anita, and welcome to the show. Hi, Trey. Thank you very much for the invitation. Happy to be uh, on the Progressive Podcast. Progressive yeah. Bitcoiner Podcast, right? The Progressive Bitcoiner. And that's another point. I can't remember if it was a tweet a while ago. You and several others, uh, and this is just to show Bitcoin's global impact here. Um, the word progressive is such a US-focused mm -hmm. word. Um, which I've known for a while. And, you know, we've been intentional about using it because it does mean something very specifically in the US. And it's also a word I like using to think about Bitcoin, because what what is more progressive than Bitcoin in terms of like what we're actually doing? Um, some people, it's a trigger word. Others, it's not for our target target audience. It, it really means something. And there are different values ascribed to it. Um, but that's one thing for folks in the U.S. to listen to um, that are listening to this. It's an interesting point is like progressive. A lot of people around the world. And I think you yourself were like, what? What is that in reference to? You know, what does that mean? It's yeah. such a, a U.S. context thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't use it at all. So it's not a word that we learn in school or so um, as a political movement in the U.S. Um, I heard it. This, it's for me also. Uh, I only heard it in the context of Bitcoin, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm super excited to have you on the show. And um, for, for those listening, most people listening right now will know who you are. But if you want to give a quick blurb um, about who you are, you know, what you've been doing in the space uh, just before we kick things off. Sure. Yeah. My name is Anita Posh and I'm basically a Bitcoin educator. I came into the Bitcoin space in early 2017 when I realized the potential of Bitcoin as a tool for social empowerment. And I thought, on the one hand, I had a career, a 20 year span career in web design and online marketing and things like that. And I got bored of that and I was looking for something new. And then I found Bitcoin. And um, yeah, it sounds uh, cheesy in a way, but yes, it changed my life. And mm -hmm. I decided I want to become a Bitcoin educator because I thought, 
that's a tool set um, I, I already have, and I only needed a little bit of much Bitcoin education mm. to be able to educate others on the topic. And um, since the social empowerment and uh, humanity and human rights uh, perspective is the one that I early on wanted to focus on, I started to work in that direction. And um, one and a half a year, years ago, in, uh, I think I founded a nonprofit initiative called Bitcoin for Fairness. Mm -hmm. And the goal of Bitcoin for Fairness is to bring, to share Bitcoin education on the ground uh, for the people who need it the most. And most of these people live in the global south um, in authoritarian countries. And that's what I do at the moment and put all my energy behind um, sharing Bitcoin education with the world. Yeah, Amazing. Yeah. And we'll make sure for folks listening to put, you know, we'll put all of the resources in the show notes for, for you guys to follow up, newsletters, all of your online resources. Um, I'm curious for you, what from a personal end, because you know, everyone has their their focus, I think, once they get into Bitcoin. But what for you from like a personal end, wh whether where you were living at the time ab about Bitcoin drew you to Bitcoin? And then I think it probably, you know, unlocked, oh, this, there's so many other things with it mm. here, you know, in terms of education yeah. and human rights. But but what for you pulled you in initially about Bitcoin? Initially, the fact that it can't be controlled by anyone, so it's controlled by the community, basically, that there is no leader in Bitcoin um, and that it's a tool that can be used uh, as a, I don't like to say it, but it's just a word that comes to my mind, as a weapon against dictatorships and um, authoritarian leaders. And um, why do I not like the weapon? Because I think Bitcoin is basically a defense tool. So you can protect your earnings, your savings, your money from overstepping dictators and political parties or whatever. Um, and then when, I mean, and personally, <clears throat> the, the, the story behind it is that first, I was very well uh, informed, or let's say it, my, my grandparents uh, spoke a lot about the Second World War with me and how mm -hmm. it for them was when the Nazis came to Austria and how they basically lost their Jewish friends and all these kinds of things. And at the same time, I realized very late, actually, that I'm interested in women and not in men and realized that actually the, the government, the legal system, doesn't give me the same rights as everyone else. And I, of course, didn't understand why. And it's also the nation state who had these laws. And so I, of course, also questioned these absolute rules, like the, the, the legislation that the, the majority of a country can put on uh, people who are not the majority. And when I realized that Bitcoin is a tool that enables me and my sisters and brothers in all other countries who have it even worse now than I had it back then, it's a tool for them to, mm. to regain their power, their freedom, to pay for their uh, protest, to, to get people out of jail. Yeah? Uh, I know mm. lesbians in Zambia who uh, were put into jail because they are just lesbians and they had a rainbow flag when they were out on the street. And that's their mm. whole crime. And if they have a bank account, it's immediately frozen. They can't, yeah. they don't have access to their money anymore. And when I realized that, that was basically, that's also for me the reason why I say 
if Bitcoin works in these circumstances, if you have countries which are dictatorships, which work with um, power and, and basically pressure and, and crime against humanity in a way, mm -hmm. against their own people, then Bitcoin is the only tool that gives you financial sovereignty and freedom. And when I realized that, I knew that's something I want to do. I, I want to give something back to, to the community, to the, to the world. And um, it, it, it fits me, you know. I mean, my, my, my role and, and what I know, what my, um, my education and what I learned in the last, in all my life, it's basically, yeah, some people say it's my ikigai, yeah. So mm -hmm. um, everything comes together and it's also the topic that, it gives me so much to work in that space because I really see progress. I really see empowerment and I can do, I can help with that. I mean, I can, mm -hmm. with sharing my knowledge, I really can help people. And I don't mean that on a missionary, in a missionary way or something. Yeah. yeah. It's, I don't need that. It's not like it, it's the only reason why I live. Yeah. No, it's not, right. but it's a good feeling to be had. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And there, there's so many different things I want to, I want to talk to you about, but I think, I mean, also it came to mind as like your skill set. I think you're one of the best educators in the space. And I, and I love talking to people that, you know, you seem to have like a laser focused mission and focus on what's most important in the space. And you've been a role model for me because I think one of the toughest things for me getting into the space, um, and I say tough from this privileged position in the West yes. and the US, but, but in terms of the community, right? So I came from the left and kind of getting into Bitcoin education and resources, it was tough for me to find something that I could resonate with mm -hmm. um, coming from that political persuasion and identity and all the friends I have from all different stripes and uh, that, that are kind of turned off by some things in Bitcoin. And Jason Meyer talks a lot about this in his book as well. He wanted to present resources in a language people could understand. Uh, mm -hmm. And for you, I know we probably share some of those things, but you are so focused on this mission of who is Bitcoin really for? Like Bitcoin is for everyone. Bitcoin is for anyone. But yes, who who is really going to use it day in and day out and has the best use case? And focusing on that rather than focusing on some of these other issues that, to be quite honestly, I can get sucked into and kind of get consumed by rather than being like, wait, wait, wait what are we doing here? Like, this is for toppling dis dictatorships. This is for like human money promoting uh, human, human freedom. So I, I want to commend you for that as well. Um, those things are important. Yes, but just you were, you were laser focused on that mission. And I think everyone sees it. Um, and it, it's really commendable um, and a good model for me as well. I think exploring the space. Thank you very much, Trey. It's, uh, that's really great to hear, and I appreciate it a lot. But I'm also standing on uh, the shoulder of other giants, and one of that is Andreas Antonopoulos. Yeah, who, I figured you'd mention him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is basically uh, most of the things I know and, and why I do these things, and why I was I was so glad to see him. Also, he's one of the he was the only one I think who always stood there for the rights of uh, gay people and transgender people and other minorities as well, of mm -hmm. course, but that's my personal thing, you know? Yeah. And so, so I learned everything actually from him, almost everything. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Well, I'm going to turn to a quote here on my, my other screen for those watching. Uh, I think this might be from your website, but it's kind of, I think at the core of what you focus on too. And so you had said, 
while mainstream media and economic pundits, and I'm saying this specifically because our audience is global, but I think our target audience too is especially folks in the US, Canada, Great Britain, Europe, who are in a privileged position that maybe they see the word progressive and Bitcoin together, progressive Bitcoin, and they're like, huh, that's, that's interesting. That's not what I've seen before, right? And they might have inclinations to dismiss it or not find it valuable from their vantage point because they don't need it. So I think this addresses this. So you say, while mainstream media and economic pundits in the Western world think it's just a tool for speculation, my goal is to spread the word about Bitcoin as an enabler of financial fairness and social change. What goes unmentioned are the positive real-world impl implications that a truly permissionless, uncensorable, neutral digital asset with a fixed supply offers. Um, and this might be directly from your book, Learn Bitcoin, which we'll also reference. But um, can you expand on that a little bit more, right? So you, you know, you're, you're uh, obviously from Europe, do a lot of work in Africa. So you see both sides of this having mm -hmm. conversations or seeing in the news folks dismissing Bitcoin or literally labeling it as like an enemy factor. Meanwhile, you're seeing real world implications. So wh what is that for you to, to wrestle with both of those things? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I went to the Global South and I focus my work on that problems because um, I think it's like the, the ultimate moment for Bitcoin is when it really can't be censored, when it really mm. serves the needs of those who are under, uh, oppressed and uh, unfree. Yeah? And the, the proof of Bitcoin will come in that sense that we will see over the years that it's really the only tool that can't be censored or overtaken by authoritarians. And it can also basically topple autocrats and dictators, yeah? And I think that's, a, that's not only for me a bigger goal than to, uh, let's say, be in a Western country with a very high level of uh, living standard, which is great, yeah? Mm. And just to make more out of more you already have, you know? So for me, the, 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 more, uh, the goal that's more interesting to me is to help those who need it first and who need it more, not to say that others don't need it as well. Um, and I also have the feeling that the ears and the interest is, is more open in these countries where you need it more. And like I always say, if Bitcoin works in Zimbabwe, it works everywhere. And that out of several reasons. First, you have this infrastructure problems. You have only like a few hours of electricity a day if you have electricity at all. The internet is slow. The banks are not working. You have hyperinflation. And on top of that, you have a corrupt kleptocracy uh, that uh, suppresses people and puts them in jail and also arrests them and questions them about where they got that Bitcoin money from. Um, and if people there still can use Bitcoin for their own freedom and their own well-being and their government can take it away, that will be the proof or that is the proof for me that it will work everywhere. A lot of people always tell me, ah, oh, but these are just edge cases, those human rights activists who use it and things like that. Yes, but they prove the point. And yeah. um that's why it's much more, um, uh, what's the right word for it? It's, it's better. F it gives me more because I, I have the feeling I can help more people in a way with that knowledge there. They, they suffer more than people do here. And, and in a way, I do the things why I, 
I do because out of that reason. And also it annoys me when I see these media articles where people uh, say, yeah, Bitcoin is only speculation and it's only for those people who want to make money fast and we don't need it. It needs a lot of electricity. Um, it's hard to work in a positive way in a surrounding like that, at least for me. Yeah. So yeah. I rather go there where people are interested in it than preaching to the people who don't want to hear it. Hi, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitbox. Now, Bitbox is a hardware wallet that's open source, incredibly secure and easy to use. And it's what I'm using to safely secure my Bitcoin in cold storage. Now, I know self-custodying Bitcoin can really be intimidating, but Bitbox is designed for ease of use without compromising on security. It's USB-C compatible and allows you to easily back up and restore your private keys with a micro SD card, which is really cool. Now you can purchase the BitBox using the promo code TPB at the link found in the show notes for 5% off your purchase. And I really want to thank BitBox for their support of the podcast. And I'm really excited about this new partnership. All right, I'll let you get back to the episode now. I think I share similar things and and you had mentioned missionary work. So my, I think I've mentioned it here <laughs> and to others in the past, right? So so my past is in a conservative religious background. That's where I, I grew up and came from. So also coming into Bitcoin, I, I'm not much of a Bitcoin evangelist in mm -hmm. terms of in that way, or saying grand gestures about Bitcoin that you're like, what does that actually mean? Or like, you know, just for, for, for normal people to access and understand. It's like, let's, let's see the proof in the pudding. Let's see what's actually happening. And for folks who say it's edge cases, it's interesting. It's only 14 years old. So uh, of course, you know, if, if we're 50, 60 years down, imagine the, the growth of that. And I, and I think for me, I see Bitcoin as a tool Bitcoin is not the end. The end isn't to have a citadel and, and rack up as much Bitcoin as possible and just talk about how amazing Bitcoin is. The end goal is more freedom. The end goal is less totalitarian rule. The end goal is more savings for your family, whatever the case may be. That I think applies everywhere, but especially in the context you're mentioning. So for me, the first step and what I like to talk about is like, what are the problems here? So, so that people can even see what is the point of something like Bitcoin, right? And so when you mentioned uh, Zimbabwe, for instance, we can focus on Zimbabwe. I know you focused on a, a few different places that you're more than welcome to mention as well. Um, what are some of the, the problems that, that are there for an average citizen in terms of monetary policy and why we're even talking about Bitcoin in the first place? Hmm. Yeah, Zimbabwe is, uh, I think, uh, next to Venezuela, one of the countries who are always the leaders in inflation. They have like 500% inflation at the moment. And people in Zimbabwe have experienced in the last 20 years, two times hyperinflation and a change in their currency, where at the same time, people who had a US dollar account in Zimbabwe on a Zimbabwean bank uh, from one day to the other in 2019, for instance, only four years ago, um, the government and the central bank decided to uh, issue a new currency, the Zimbabwean dollar, and said, you have a U.S. dollar bank account, uh, and tomorrow it is a Zimbabwean dollar bank account, but don't, uh, don't be afraid. Um, the exchange value will stay one-to-one. -one. Mm. In uh, early 2020, when I came the first time, the exchange was one-to-30. And this year... When I came in, no, last year in September, I think it was one to 200 mm -hmm. and now it is one to six, 6,000. So uh, for one US dollar, 6,000 Zimbabwean dollar. And that's the reason why people speak about Bitcoin 
as an alternative, especially in countries like that. Yes, Bitcoin is volatile, but there is no inflation, no, no monetary inflation possible. And monetary inflation is a tool uh, which all over the world, but especially in these countries, is used to steal from the people. So the practice is really here to totally control how many U.S. dollars are on the market. Each week, the Zimbabwean Central Bank, Reserve Bank, is holding an auction where they decide on the exchange rate to the U.S. dollar. So no free market anywhere. And you basically have the official bank rate and you have the street market rate, always called black market rate, to mm -hmm. make it sound as if it's something bad. But in truth, right. it's the real value of the money. Mm -hmm. And um, just as an example, the, the exchange, like the foreign currency exchange, like how you can send money out of Zimbabwe and how you can get it back is uh, totally controlled also by the central bank. If you're, for instance, a business in Zimbabwe and you want to buy goods from South Africa that you need for production or whatever, you have to ask the central bank for U.S. dollars. Um, and then in the auction, it's decided on uh, if you get the U.S. dollars or if you get that uh, exchange done or not. And if you do then it's not the case that the central bank gives you the U.S. dollar onto your account and you pay your supplier. No, it's the central bank who pays for you. So mm. everything is totally controlled. And um, the daily problems are that way that the first thing people ask in the morning when they go into a shop or uh, speak with someone else, it's maybe the weather or it's what's the rate today. Mm. Um, and if you're in the shop, you have to say what's the rate today because the prices have gone up again. Yeah. And um, that's, of course, a problem. I mean, if you are, the bread you buy um, costs like, say, one Zimbabwe dollar in 2019 and in 2023 it costs 6,000 Zimbabwe dollar. But you, mm -hmm. of course, don't earn more in Zimbabwe dollar. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a problem. I don't know how people survive there, I have to say. And another very, um, maybe even, how you say, not devilish, uh, a, a, a devil thing to do or so, like a real mm. bad thing, what the, the, the government does is they are printing the Zimbabwe dollar and it's still legal tender. So, for instance, school fees have to be paid in Zimbabwe dollar. That mm. means that the people need Zimbabwe dollar. The government prints those Zimbabwe dollar and then sends runners they pay people to go to the countryside, to the small villages, and then they get their U.S. dollars for the Zimbabwe dollar because the people need the Zimbabwe dollar to pay for the school fees. Mm -hmm. So they basically steal their U.S. dollars yeah. really in, in, um, in a very mean way so they know what they do. Yeah? Mm -hmm. yeah. And people are helpless. What do you want to do? I mean... You need Zimbabwe dollar, you give them your hard-earned US dollar. Or another example, which I found also very interesting, I've never seen that before. We were in, uh, in Mashwingo, in another bigger town of uh, Zimbabwe, and we went to the supermarket, and there was a long line of people outside waiting. And I was saying to my friend, what are these people doing here? Because they said to us, they, 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 they had their bank card in their hands and said, take mine, take mine. Uh, yeah, mm. what? And what they do is they give complete strangers, uh, they trust complete strangers 
they give them the bank card, and then we should buy our goods with their Zimbabwe dollar. Mm-hmm. And then outside, we give them the money in U.S. dollar. So that's the way for them to exchange from Zimbabwe dollar to U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that shows how problematic the situation is for people, yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, so many people, uh, especially in the U.S. or the West, just don't even have a, a basic understanding to start there, right? So I think regardless of what people might think about Bitcoin, the first thing you need to realize is, like, there is a problem, like, there's a problem and Alex Gladstein, we'll be talking with him um, probably a few episodes after this one, as well as his books and resources and so many others are talking about IMF loans, these predatory loans to these countries and these, you know, these regimes, however, you know, and you have a great chart that I'll make sure to get out to people as well about different levels of democracy and, you know, full democracies versus full authoritarian and everything in between. Either way, these countries like to hoard U.S. dollars. They like to hoard gold, yeah, the things sure. that they know are valuable, right? And and literally steal from their their citizens. And and Farida Naburema, who uh, her episode will be out by the time this one comes out, she was saying the same thing in Togo, right? And I want people to understand, like Africa is not one state, it's not one place, but there are several nations that do similar things um, in the African continent, and that's one of them. Like literally stealing from people in in that way, whether it's through money printing or literally exchanging because people have no other choice. So that is the problem we're going into. So for those that dismiss Bitcoin outright, what is your solution then? What what is the other mm-hmm. alternative right now? And I will mention because some folks have have said this to me and I, I know Alex and so many others have mentioned, um, for your experience in Zimbabwe, did you or how did you see the existence of stable coins and and things like that? Because there are some practical realities of I think in some environments, and when people are talking about 200 plus percent inflation, 2000 percent, whatever it is, you know, a drop above 20 percent or 50 percent in Bitcoin, they're like, that's that's nothing. That's, you know, that's fool's play. We can wait another five months for that to come back up or whatever the case may be. So even that is kind of like you can pick that apart. But um, I don't know if I focus too much in talking with people about stablecoin usage in Zimbabwe, potentially, but I'm curious just your your experience and in seeing that um, play out as well. Yeah, so to be honest, I myself, I'm not using USDT, so I don't really uh, have a big eye on that. But of course, I I hear people doing it and talking about it. I was talking with uh, two people who are Bitcoin traders in Zimbabwe. Both have uh, peer-to-peer exchanged about two to three hundred US dollars a year from US dollar to crypto and i say crypto because they also say crypto and right. one of these guys told me yes there are about 20% of people who hold bitcoin for the long run they want bitcoin from me but 80% want the 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 positive the, the advantages of crypto but they don't want to hold uh, you, uh bitcoin because of the volatility and mm-hmm. that's interesting yeah because as you said i mean if i ha- am a, I'm in a country with 900% inflation then the ups and downs of Bitcoin are nothing. But I think these people are people who are using cryptocurrency for uh, short term. Like they they need it now. In that case, they use it because they need to send it in and out. Mm -hmm. So they Mm -hmm. use it on a daily basis and they don't have the money to put it there and say, okay, I take it not, I don't take it out for five years. Mm -hmm. 
which is actually what you should do for with Bitcoin three to five years. Right. Um, so they need it immediately. And um, I always say yes, but I mean, USDT is not censorship resistant. It's mm-hmm. a centralized company. It can go down anytime. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's... Uh, People then say, yeah, but I've used it uh, the last year or so and never happened, yeah? Uh, yeah. You don't know, but but that's not the way how you can um, tell people. You can't tell people what to do. They need yeah, to no. experience it themselves. And I think over the long run, um, they will also see the difference between USDT and Bitcoin. And I mean, I, USDT is, is like USD, but it also has inflation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... For me, it's not a tool to save. It's much too risky for me personally. And I, and I, I try to explain these kinds of things. But of course, people um, are doing what, what serves them best, of course. Uh, and so I, I only like, because we said this missionary thing before, if people ask me about it, of course, I explain it to them, but mm-hmm. I'm not going there and saying you shouldn't use stable coins uh, right. or things like that. Right. Yeah, They use what they need and that's okay so. Yeah. And that, that's the tricky part is uh, I'm kind of in the middle of understanding and seeing and so many others have talked about it so much because there are some in the Bitcoin community that are like, absolutely don't touch it. You're stupid if you use it. Right. And it's like, okay, well, you're saying that from a place where you have a full bank account, a, a stable bank account, mm-hmm. FDIC insurance, you know, all of this different stuff. Right. But at the same time, I say similar to, to what you, my, my true thoughts on it at like, at some point, it could be depegged. At some point, it can be censored. At some point, it can collapse overnight. With Bitcoin, that that is near zero at this point in terms of in terms of the global layer of this. Where you're right, a company manages and runs USDC, Tether, any other stable coins that are that are going to come out. At some point, it could collapse. And even though you want to use it within the next six hours, what if it's within that that next six yeah. hours? So it is it is challenging. It's it's um it's a risk, and Bitcoin is less risky in that regard. Yes, yeah, sorry. What I wanted to say was, I mean, I also draw a line. Uh, because people told me, uh, shouldn't you maybe, wouldn't it be a good idea to teach people about USDT, how it works mm-hmm. and things like that and how to use it? And I say, no, I'm a Bitcoin educator. I'm not a USDT yeah. educator. You know, if someone is asking me, um, how could I use USDT and exchange it to Bitcoin? Or, you know, how does it relate to Bitcoin or things like that? Of course, I will explain and I will help people. But I, some people think or say uh, we should uh, start where people are and first show them USDT. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I mean... Why should yeah. I? Yeah? I, I want to bring Bitcoin education to the people and because they will use USDT anyways. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. 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 And now I won't have, you know, this for people sitting as is, isn't going to be a, a, a tether or a stable, stable coin episode. Um, no. <laughs> but it's just curious because people do do bring this up and say this. Right. And so just kind of thinking of of how that'll come in. Um, but in terms of education, get, getting back to that. So um, obviously coming from the West. Um, there's Bitcoin education in Africa versus Bitcoin education in the West or in Europe in your context, because there are differences between Europe and US with education and Canada and, and all of this sort of stuff, which I'll get to. Um, but have you have you tried to do any education in Europe versus Africa? What what has that been like? Obviously, there's some stark differences I can think of um, immediately, but but what has that been like for you? Just the the balance there. Um, I know initially you had said, listen, for, and I'm kind of in that same boat. Um, it's almost Satoshi's quote of like, 
if you don't understand, I don't have time to tell you. And it's not uh, that that quote is actually very frustrating to me. But there are some <laughs> that are very closed off in the West to it, even though they they can kind of understand what I'm starting to say, but they will not listen. In that regard, I'm like, okay, I'm going to pivot to elevating stories of what you're doing, elevating stories in El Salvador, elevating these other stories, because I think that will benefit the Bitcoin community greater. And then eventually those people will come mm. back and they'll say, huh, okay, there was, there was something going on there. This is cool. So for you, um, how do you see that difference? Do you engage in education in the West um, or is your, I, your focus mainly just Africa still? I did. So when I started out, I did seminars and workshops in Austria in German about Bitcoin. Um, but then my focus, you know, became on this tool for human rights and, and that it serves more people at the moment in the global south than here. Mm. Uh, here they don't really need it because the, the, the suffering is not that big. Yeah, We still yeah. have a very high living standard. Uh, and also, I would say, quite good democratic systems, although they are deteriorating a little bit also. Mm. But um, so the differences in education, I would say... Mm. First, I mean, you have much more material in English and in German. Um, you have almost no material in native African languages. Um, the, the education, I would say in general about Bitcoin, uh, the level of knowledge that people come to my workshops or talks is lower than, um, I experienced it in, in Western, uh, countries. Um, but the understanding of how it can help uh, it's much better in these in in the global south. Mm -hmm. So if you have experienced hyperinflation, if you have experienced how banks do not work, if you live under circumstances where you cannot send money freely in and out of your country or even use it without being monitored by uh, the leading political party or by their opponents, whatever, mm -hmm. when when money is used as a weapon against you, which which is not yet here. Um, then uh, the understanding of a censorship-resistant hard asset um, is faster, and even it's, if it's not in that words, <laughs> mm -hmm. because mostly it's not in that words, um, is, is much faster, and, and you are more welcome with that message than uh, in, in the countries where I live, or in the Western countries, yeah. And that's also, of course, a... How shall I say a rewarding effect for me, although it's built on suffering, which is not so good. <laughs> yeah, it's the unfortunate reality of of Bitcoin. You're more likely to understand the need for something like Bitcoin if you experience that yeah. that first and foremost. And for those mm -hmm. of us in the West that are that are trying to promote education, even myself, sometimes I do ask, okay, I haven't experienced that suffering. How did I? I I, I got lucky enough, I guess, to to see its potential um, and drown out the noise from my left counterparts uh, mm -hmm. to try to push through it and hopefully pull them along. But my focus right now is in amplifying these stories because I think they're most important. That's what, what Bitcoin is for. And if the others come along at some point and want to talk or learn more, that's great. But, but I'm focusing on those who, who need it most right now and trying to amplify those stories or at least amplifying stories to those people who can support those projects. If you're in a point of mm -hmm. privilege, donate money and funding to these groups um mm -hmm. go and listen to them provide resources all of that stuff which which we'll share um 
Yeah. yeah, which is very important because, you know, I mean, we know uh, Bitcoin has no marketing department. So yeah. we have the, the resources have to come from our community. And it's, mm -hmm. it's the way it is. Yeah. And yeah. even more, if we want resources uh, that are not sponsored by companies uh, or things like that uh, and promote a certain story. Yeah, to, I mean, I, I stopped taking sponsorships end of last year because mm -hmm. I, I, I knew it before, but I, I mean, I thought I want to focus really on donations and community donations because I want to stay neutral. It's also like Andreas Antonopoulos um, mm -hmm. is here, the, the, the guiding um, example. Um, so I always will try to, uh, I, I did, it, did it before with sponsorship as well. I mean, I always said the things I think help people the most and not me, me the most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important uh, thing. And, and that's why this community support is so important. Yeah. Because we are, it's a decentralized money. Um, also the, the efforts to bring education to the market will be decentralized in a way. Yeah? It will mm -hmm. be me and other people uh, who do similar things like me. I mean, there are great examples all over the world and they are getting more and more. And this is very, uh, that's great to see. Yeah. I, I, I now then more than ever, like two, when I, two years ago, when I came the first time to Zimbabwe and Botswana, um, there were almost none of these uh, initiatives. And now mm. you have the Bitcoin Cowries in Ghana, Bitcoin Ikasi, Bitcoin Vincent, Bitcoin, um, uh, now I have lost the word, in so free Bitcoin communities in South Africa, um, in Namibia, in, in, in Nigeria, mm. in Kenya. We have gridless mining, you know, yeah. uh, and things like that where, I mean, there was Bitcoin mining in, in African countries before, but they were um, single uh, entities, you know, and now yeah. they are really growing and only in two years. And just imagine what's happening the next two years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Bitcoin is unstoppable, not only as a tool, um, also in adoption. And I, I know like if, because I think at some point, like right now, a lot of the folks listening to this probably know you are progressive and Bitcoiners. But what eventually I think will happen is, fortunately, unfortunately, once we get into more of a bull market, people will probably start looking back on episodes or kind of coming to different podcasts and education. And we're here for that. And if you're listening and it's six months, a year from now, like hopefully you find this, this valuable as well. Um, but in terms of mining, I want to touch on that because that's so important and one of those things that definitely flips it on its head and we'll, we'll have other speakers on to focus and we have in the past as well on another huge um, area of focus for us which is the environment climate change and bitcoin mining because that takes a little bit more to dig into for people to understand using energy is actually a good thing in, in certain contexts um, things like that but for you what are some of those things you've seen in terms of bitcoin mining and what are the uh, i'll just ask it more broadly and you can take it where you want what are some of the bit the the benefits of Bitcoin mining in these environments? Yeah, the first thing is um, you have an abundance of sun, of course, and mm -hmm. you have hydropower in many of these countries uh, that go, that, that's um, not used because they don't have the infrastructure to bring it to the, the, the centers, the urban centers where it's needed and things like that. Mm. And just as an example, so um, one of my do you say pet projects um, yeah. was was bringing a Bitcoin bringing Bitcoin mining to Zimbabwe, and yep. um, 
We did it, I can say. Um, we have a guy who's living in the UK, so he's a Zimbabwean, uh, but he also left the country and living in the diaspora, diaspora like millions of Zimbabweans. Um, and he has a farm in uh, Zimbabwe. And he told me, you know, look, I have this solar power uh, panels and the whole setup, and I only need the power during some months for my farm. The other time I have excess energy and I would really try to start Bitcoin mining. And then I connected him with a uh, guy who was already following me. And that guy then donated five or six ASICs machines, mining machines to him uh, because he didn't use it anymore. He wanted to buy the next generation and gave those away. So the guy sets up that mining with six ASICs with his solar power and tells me I'm making about $25 a day. Mm. And I mean, if you know that many people in Zimbabwe in a month maybe earn yeah. $50, US dollars or mm -hmm. uh, doctors in uh, hotels, uh, not hotels, sorry, in uh, hospitals <laughs> yeah. uh, earn 300 US dollars a month, yeah, mm -hmm. or teachers. Then you know that $25 a day is very much. And so the project was a success. Mm -hmm. And a few months in, uh, he calls me again and says, I have lost the equipment. And I said, what does that mean? You have lost the equipment. How can you lose the equipment? Mm. And my friend from Zimbabwe explained to me that people in Zimbabwe don't say they were stolen. Yeah, uh, Someone basically mm. stole his whole uh, solar power infrastructure. Mm. And, you know, the inverters and the batteries, they are very expensive. And yeah. if he now has to buy these new uh, solar uh, power infrastructure, then um, the, he, he, of course, Bitcoin mining can bring some of that back. But if you had to pay for all this setup upfront, then uh, it's not so easy for a small miner to uh, get into the positive uh, profit uh, side. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, you still have KYC free Bitcoin. There are no exchanges in Zimbabwe. You need to know people. You need to trust people uh, who exchange it for you. Mm. Um, and so... If anyone in Zimbabwe has excess energy and the infrastructure um, to run miners and you need a lot of electricity, I also know someone who tried to do the same and he was thinking like, oh, I can do that with my regular uh, PV. Um, and um, yeah, he, <laughs> he, he had quite a surprise and realized he can't run these miners. So, yeah. And it's basically building infrastructure and to be more uh, like to build an even more uncensorable environment, a structure, a also you can build a circular economy around that, for instance. My dream was actually also to bring a uh, Blockstream satellite receiver to the same place where the miner mm. was. So the miner could send and receive the, the Bitcoin blocks from the, the blockchain and be independent of the uh, internet providers in Zimbabwe because sometimes they turn off the internet. That happens yeah. actually on a regular basis. I think in two weeks is the new election the next election and people already think, yeah, okay, the internet will not work on that day. Um, so yeah. that was the idea to make this whole self-sovereign setup really self-sovereign. Um, mm. But because people are so poor, they basically steal everything and that's how the infrastructure was lost. Yeah, And yeah. 
I just wanted to add another example of something that people in our lives, in our world, can't understand because they don't see it. Um, we also had a program where we donated Bitcoin to a school and they could buy new computers. And of course, we did that through Bitcoin. And the school uh, master, headmaster, was then arrested by the police because they were questioning um, about the funds, where they come from and how they got to that money. And um, so this really, it's really a very sensitive space and it's very risky. And that's also the reason why you often won't hear a lot about Bitcoin usage in countries like that, because people are afraid. And of course, I would also not say, tell anyone that I'm using Bitcoin publicly in these countries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's on yeah. another level. I mean, we can talk about it, we can use it. And I don't think that Western or Northern or let's say democratic uh, countries forbid or ban Bitcoin. I mean, if it happens, then you know where we are at which point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do, you know, I want to tread lightly on this, but there are folks that will say, well, every country is authoritative. The U.S. is an authoritarian place and this yeah. and that. And, I, you know, my, my argument, because I, you know, I'm in this space doing this podcast, doing education, wanting to roll out more, more media around this um, to apply it to the real world and folks in the real world. Because I think a lot of Bitcoiners are actually are, um, getting into and understanding Bitcoin education, but I want just everyday people to start accessing Bitcoin education. And if you lead by saying the U.S. is an authoritarian state, we're not having the same conversation right now as to what you're referring to. And there is a big major difference. So I won't argue with people on, on that point, but I would say like, no, we're actually talking about there are democratic freedoms in, in the U.S., in the West, that here um, just do not exist even, even outright. So there is more of a, a need and understanding for Bitcoin in that regard. Sure, if it gets there to, to one point, um, that's a different conversation. But Right now, I, I kind of push back on those statements and say, let's look at the world as it is today. And those are the conversations I'm interested in having. Um, but I wanted to bring up that point because that's another another point. I think you had said it maybe in an interview um, or a writing previously that that Bitcoin can topple dictatorships and authoritarian. Um, and, and that's one of those statements that can be said and mean a million different things. Um, and I think from my perspective, it's understanding that if you're separating folks from using using Bitcoin rather than using the oppressive state money um, that funds and fuels these regimes, that's, I think, the path that we're talking about. But can you elaborate more on that of how if Bitcoin use is widely adopted or used by folks in Zimbabwe or other places, what can that look like to to topple an authoritarian regime by just opting out and using Bitcoin? Yes. I mean, uh, to set the record straight, I didn't say that initially. I heard that in a podcast interview from my friend Meron Estefanos, who is mm. a uh, human rights activist, and I had her on my show. And uh, she's working a lot uh, with Eritrean refugees. Uh, she saved refugees who were kidnapped and uh, held against ransom and they used Bitcoin to free those um, refugees. Mm. And she was the one who said to me initially uh, that Bitcoin can topple dictators. And mm. I mean, she lives in countries like that or, or has experience with it because she said, you know, when you basically take away the money that that is feeding these dictatorships, then uh, you can dry them out. 
They don't have the funds yeah. anymore. If you don't need their Zimbabwe dollar shit coins or any other national currency, they can print however they want to, if you don't use it anymore. And if uh, they can't censor you, they can't, if you use Bitcoin peer-to-peer -peer without KYC identification, um, you have a very high level of privacy, even, I mean, compared to credit cards or banks or whatever. I mean, people don't use mm -hmm. that most of the cases anyhow. But, um, and Bitcoin is the only tool that no one can take away from you. Uh, but even if they uh, put you in jail and threaten you, you don't need to tell them your, their seed. I mean, you have forgotten your seed, you know, it's somewhere. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. that's the power that Bitcoin gives you. And no other tool gives that to you. And that's the reason why dictatorships could be toppled if all people were to use Bitcoin and not tell their um, leaders in a way, you know, uh, in an anonymous, trusted way. I mean, um, there are a lot of communities and people like in Zimbabwe, everyone knows how dangerous it is to do some things. Yeah, For instance, exchanging Zimbabwe dollar to US dollar on the street is not allowed too. So you basically meet with your dealer uh, in a side road and exchange money, uh, but the dealer trusts you and you trust the dealer because it's a deal you make in a way, you know, mm -hmm. to, to, to uh, extend your freedom. And it's a, a help for everyone. Everyone uh, has, out of these two parties, uh, has an advantage of it. So you won't go to the police and say, that guy is a money dealer. Why would you do that? And I think it could also work with Bitcoin that way. Um, when people see how uh, positive and empowering it is for them and how they could use it against their dictators, that's a tool. Um, yeah, that's uh, how I see that. And when you're when you're doing these education workshops and these other resources, what are some of the the Bitcoin tools? I mean, it doesn't have to be specific companies, but that sure, if there's specific wallets and things, but. Um, the ways in which you approach that for people that that don't know and haven't looked into your resources, can you kind of walk us through what those workshops look like just to show people from step one, like using Bitcoin? What is your mm -hmm. what is your approach to that for people to understand how to hold it, how to use it? things like that? Yeah, it's very much, of course, depends on the setting. So uh, what's the audience? Um, what are their goals? Uh, where do they live in a way? What are the problems? I always try to, like when I go into a country where I've never been, or uh, I always try to look what, what's the current situation there? Uh, what's their situation in with inflation? Um, um, what's there with the banking system, which uh, do they already have Bitcoin exchanges or not? Um, mm. So to prepare for the different uh, needs. Yeah. And um, so it can be a, if it's a workshop or a seminar that lasts a few hours, then I'm basically starting a little bit with, with what is money, you know, um, what is inflation? Where does money come from? And, and then the main part always is like uh, the differences between Bitcoin and uh, national currency or fiat money, as we call it. And I always try to, to connect it to use cases for the people. Um, uh, so the understanding from that side comes uh, relatively fast because if you tell a Zimbabwean, uh, no government can change your uh, Bitcoin or can take it away from you, then everybody understands immediately what that means. 
Mm-hmm. And so my goal is to bring them to self-custody as fast as possible. So I'm, I'm not going there and saying, download wallet of Satoshi, and then I send you 100 Satoshis and goodbye. Now I orange build you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really put an emphasis on long-term um, sustainable education. That's why I try to support these local Bitcoin groups also with education to have people on the ground where people then can go and ask again, because Bitcoin is such a fast uh, developing technology and space mm-hmm. that you have new wallets every other month. And some of yeah. them then make things more convenient, like the, the new Phoenix wallet, for instance. Mm-hmm. It's a, a lightning wallet, a self-custody lightning wallet, where you basically a little bit run your own lightning node on your phone and it's getting more convenient now. You don't need to understand channels anymore, lightning channels. Mm-hmm. What is this? So I really try to onboard people into self-custody uh, because I also believe that um, if people start with wallet of Satoshi and it works, why should they ever change uh, to another wallet right. for them? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And most people don't have the time nor the interest to research the newest Bitcoin uh, uh, tools out there and try them. They just want to have things that work. And mm-hmm. I want to give them the tools that are the most secure for them to not lose their money and their keys. And, uh, give them a knowledge of what is privacy and how can you um, support the level of privacy you have with the use of Bitcoin and how do you need to use Bitcoin and Lightning to stay as private as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I really fear that some of these countries uh, will go down hard on people who use Bitcoin. And that's why I also always say, stay anonymous as much as possible. No one needs to know that you hold or use Bitcoin. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Just use it. Yeah. That's one of my or one of my favorite things right now, probably in the space in terms of products, is these lightning wallets that are coming out that I mean, gosh, even a couple of years ago, you know, it was only custodial or you had to run your own node, which even for me, I, I like got a got an umbral, uh, got an umbral node set up and things like that. But just the maintenance, the management of this. Also, in terms of traceability and trackability, it's actually you really have to know what you're doing, or even that yeah. your node can be traced right to a to a physical location in these areas, which could be you know, it's less dangerous for me here in the US than it is for someone who can have their their actual node or their, you know, physically traceable as well. So having it, you know, they're even developing somewhere channels are, you can, you know, open and close a channel on your mobile phone without even knowing it just in one mm-hmm. transaction. And then you do mm-hmm. it again. And it's a separate node that spun up like kind of on the back end. It's it's absolutely amazing. So it's it's convenient. But it's well, it's self sovereign as well. And for a long time in Bitcoin, there there were two opposing camps. And there's still many in Bitcoin that are solely focused on ease of use and centralized authorities. And we know a Mm -hmm. lot of those players in the US who are doing that. But these really creative devs who are doing, okay, open source, self-sovereign, and it's so easy and fun to use. Like that Mm -hmm. is is cutting edge right now, Mm -hmm. which is absolutely Absolutely. amazing. Absolutely. And what for me is also cutting edge and uh, is a big, big opportunity is earning Bitcoin through uh, value for value, for instance. Or if you start like um, a membership program, which I'm doing right now, um, I'm accepting Bitcoin via the BTC Pay server. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I know they are working at the moment on a model you 
module or a plugin that can do uh, subscription-based memberships uh, with Bitcoin. I will be integrating that too. And that's also a tool. I mean, just imagine there are millions or billions of young people in Africa. The average age in Africa is 20 years. The mm. average age in uh, Austria is, I think, or in Europe is 47 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So now just imagine where will be more adoption of a new technology uh, that's understood and used by young people, millions of young people who want to work, who need tools and chances like, like to earn some money from abroad. Um, and, and so I, I believe there will be an explosion of innovation. Um, there's also a program called Kala, um, where Abu Bukhanur Khalil is one of the founders, and they are doing uh, education for Bitcoin developers in African countries. They have a scholarship program. And um, I think that's also very, very important because only people on the ground who know the problems um, can develop tools that work in that environment and are uncensorable in the long run and things like that because they have much harder circumstances and they need to develop around that to still stay uncensorable. And that's why I believe that in the coming years, I guess the most innovative stuff will come from, from these countries. And I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, and the young people in these countries, right? Um, I mean, just an incredible doc that came out recently too from Max DeMarco featuring um, El Premier, uh, Mi Premier Bitcoin in El Salvador. Mm -hmm. So just education for young people. And it, and it almost brings you to tears in terms of like understanding young people. Now they, they have a future in a different way in terms of like actually having money that they themselves can own and they can build a business for themselves. Because it's one, it's very broad similarity. A lot of the, I come from the nonprofit world and a lot of the inner city young people we work with, when you ask them what they want to do, a lot of them want to be entrepreneurial because that's typically mm -hmm. what their immigrant parents are doing. They're running convenience stores, they're running hair salons. And it's similar in these markets that you're talking to. I'm sure a lot of the young people are there like, oh, now they're seeing like content creators just by accessing uh, the internet, right? And so they can actually use that through some of the tools you're mentioning to accept Bitcoin, right? Or they can run up and spin up different fediments and, and help people mm -hmm. source that or educate people locally and be paid in Bitcoin. So all it's a mm -hmm. creator economy that's more and more easily accessible to anyone globally, especially young people through Bitcoin now. They don't yeah. have to worry about all these currency things that you're, you're discussing. Their future might, it might be a distant memory. But they're like, oh yeah, my parents have to deal with this or go to this market or in the US deal with Western Union and all of these other factors. Um, and that's incredibly hopeful. So you know, a lot of these episodes when I'm talking to people, we focus on a lot of the situations currently, but Bitcoin actually brings hope in a new way where you don't have to rely on the government getting better anytime soon. Those are, <laughs> those are issues that will continue to persist. Like Bitcoin doesn't necessarily solve that, mm -hmm. but it brings about a new ecosystem and, and a way to potentially topple these these regimes yeah, and things like and, this it's really exciting yeah and you have an alternative the first time in thousands of years yeah. <laughs> to yeah. to to the nation state uh, money and um just to to um because i said kala this educational program 
when I was on the ground and did my education in Zambia, Zimbabwe, Ghana, South Africa, I realized that it's great that I'm going there to build trust because there are a lot of scams going on. And if you're there, if you're coming and you spend your time and your money on trying to uh, share education and true knowledge, then people are very appreciative um, of that. Um, but I realized it's good to, to, to build that trust and give this initial uh, idea of there is something like Bitcoin, but then you need something sustainable. You need to guide, and a guide is such a way from above, I don't mean it like that, but you need to offer a space where they can educate themselves over the long term. Because mm -hmm. as we said before, the, the space and the technology is changing so fast that uh, you not only need people on the ground who uh, build these communities and want to start their own educational initiatives. Um, and that's why I started a program now, which is called Crack the Orange, where these aspiring Bitcoin educators and community builders can apply for a scholarship. And they can uh, then come into my class, do the Learn Bitcoin course to get the knowledge to educate their peers. And they can mm. stay in that program for a year, uh, maybe even longer, we'll see. But at the moment, it's a, a year. And um, it's possible for, for companies in the space or for private people who want to donate to the work I do to donate seats in that program uh, to these uh, aspiring educators. And that's a way how I want to like train the trainers to, to build a sustainable um, movement of educators and creators and things like that and people like that. And because then I think it's, it's up to the people on the ground. They will know mm -hmm. what to do. Uh, but in, initially I want to support uh, with Crack the Orange um, this, this building of, of knowledge in these countries. And at the same time, because I just said membership and uh, subscriptions with Bitcoin, uh, some people ask me, so you don't take sponsorships. How can I support your work? And up until now, it was like, yeah, donations. But now you can basically also um, uh, buy a membership in your national currency or in Bitcoin. And I'm doing monthly live Q&As where people can ask questions. I'm doing, I'm starting my podcast again um, Great. And then people can ask questions to the guests I have. Um, and I want to build a community of learners where also these uh, educators like from Ghana and from Nigeria and from Kenya and from Zimbabwe, they have a space where they can connect with each other basically in my Bitcoin for Fairness Crack the Orange program uh, mm -hmm. where they can learn from each other and uh, exchange ideas and things like that. And um, yeah, that that's that was also my... My, how shall I say, um, the reason why I, I, I did that program, because I thought only going there is, is not enough. Yeah. You can't yeah. just leave them hang there. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a real missionary approach. The initial part, not what you're doing now <laughs> is you go in, you give from their point of view, maybe they don't initially, you give these, these poor people resources, food, whatever, um, <laughs> you try to con convert them. Right. And again, People from religious backgrounds uh, hear, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's more like this approach of in and out, and then there's no follow-up. There's no ongoing support. There's no mm -hmm. resources. But yeah, from from my nonprofit context, people really understand the whole train-the-trainer model. And that's what, that's what I think is super needed. And I'm seeing a lot more of that in this bear market, like these things kind of built out. 
that are trained the trainer models because I'm I get very hesitant and look through it from that hesitation of like a missionary model of okay, what is this person who I know is from the US, they go to a nation that you're mentioning or someone from the West, but then you look at these models that are trained the trainer that are that mm-hmm. are setting up sustainable resources, sustainable funding from those that might be able to donate. And what's great about these things is some people might say, okay, what you're donating to is a humanitarian crisis. You're donating to nonprofits. You're donating to educating. You're not donating to a speculative like crypto project. Like you're donating to actually people building out their local economies. And that that's try that's what I'm trying to bring as well through this podcast is for people to understand that's what we're here doing. It's not about let's just focus so much on Bitcoin that that is the thing. No, we're focusing on local communities and Bitcoin is the tool through that. And there's other mm-hmm. tools as well. I think Noster is an incredible tool that I think hopefully people uh, like an open protocol, similar uh, permissionless state to Bitcoin that people can utilize to, like you said, content creation and fundraising and zapping on uh, to accept Bitcoin through that. That's another great mm-hmm. resource. And a year from now, we won't be able to keep up with what else comes out there um, mm. on the shoulders of these types of things. Yeah, I, I hope that the freedom comes back to the internet. That was initially the reason for from for many cypherpunks and and internet mm. pioneers uh, to to support that whole technology. Right? I mean, it's a military technology, but in the end, um, co- from the communication aspect and from the aspect of how people now have a voice, um, it's it's a tool for the people. Uh, uh, of course, with all its disadvantages that we see through the centralization and through the uh, capi- uh, capitalization, or do you say that, of, yeah. of the money and VCs mm-hmm. who put in millions into something like WorldCoin and then World come, yeah. Yeah, and come with the, oh, we want to help the people, yeah, when mm-hmm. all they do is basically catalog uh, people, you know. And with yeah. all the dangers that come with that, um, and and so I lost my uh, <laughs> line now. I don't know what I wanted to say, but you know, you, you mentioned know WorldCoin, thing. and it sends me, <laughs> yeah, it sends me spinning into like how sick and disgusting it is. Luckily, uh, yeah. uh, uh, on that, I think New York Times actually wrote a piece that was at least skeptical, at least like, what's mm-hmm. going on here? So, uh, uh, irregardless, um, uh, so one thing I want to mention because we're talking about kind of the the internet and and freedom and one thing that I try to focus on I try to focus more of the time and resources on what we're talking about but a little bit on this next topic cuz it still exists so polarization around things like bitcoin and we're focused on bitcoin so in the united states especially it happens in the west as well but particularly in the us and for folks that might be listening there's such an extreme continuous uh, polarization of Bitcoin. And, and I mean this almost in political parties. Like right now, there's a bit more support uh, in terms of Bitcoin specifically from right-wing politicians in the US. And there's a lot of hesitation and sometimes outright hate and defiance from folks on the left that we're trying to speak to through this, through this podcast. Literally, whether it's a politician that listens at one point or politicians we're speaking to and trying to engage with that I'm doing uh, behind the scenes with so many others and Dennis Porter as well, um, trying to talk to politicians, like stop politicizing this. So when you're, when you're, I know you spend most of your time and effort for good reason. And I understand why in Africa <laughs> focusing on these things, cause it's silliness at the end of the day. But right now it is still affecting adoption in the U S uh, it is affecting so many different things, this polarization of Bitcoin. So when you think about polarization, whether it's in, in uh, Germany and Austria, in Europe, but especially in the U.S., how would you engage uh, with folks around this topic that, let's say, in general, I know it doesn't generally shake out like this, but can I, in general, 
the left is a bit hesitant and sometimes fearful of Bitcoin saying mm -hmm. that it is killing the environment. It's mm -hmm. for criminals mm -hmm. or that it's right wing propaganda, whatever the case may be, or that it's speculative. Uh, and, and the right has some cheerleaders that I think are just using it for political gain, right? Trying to mm. give votes. That's my personal opinion on that. Mm. How, how would you approach people that way? Or maybe there's folks listening that have only heard that about Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's an ongoing story. I mean, also the reason why are there not more women in this space, you know? Um, I spoke to a young woman some years ago um, she was a part of a team who did an interview with me and after uh, all I said with uh, human rights and uh, yeah, women can uh, own money uh, like Bitcoin in some nation mm -hmm. states where they are not allowed to own property or inherit anything. Uh, she said to me, Oh, it's the first time I think about it this way. I only hear it from my young uh, male friends and it disgusts yeah. me because they only talk about money and how they can make more money. And uh, I don't see, I, I thought, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought that's Bitcoin. And I said, mm -hmm. no. And and that's the great problem, yes. And also that's the problem of the, sorry, the left or the left liberal, which I count myself uh, in that uh, sphere, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. actually, I, I try to stay neutral about all of that. Um, but um, I'm very sad to see that people don't get it and they just push it away and say, no, um, look at what Greenpeace USA is writing. Yeah. But interestingly enough, even my father, who I always thought is opposing that technology, said yesterday to me, I think that is shifting because I mentioned the electricity use of Bitcoin and the, the story that the media makes out of it. And I said, and he said, you know, I see more and more reports where the the, the thing is shifting, and people mm -hmm. will find out that actually that's not the problem. Yeah, and um, I really would hope that um, people, left leaning people, um, at least read a book about it and please not the Bitcoin standard. Um, <laughs> read, read, uh, read your book, Anita. Jason <laughs> Myers or, or read mine. Yep. Yeah. Or books from Andreas Antonopoulos. Listen mm -hmm. to these people because we are here. Yeah. We are uh, in the minority, but we are here. The loudest people are, yes, the conservative uh, right-leaning ones. Um, but this is not Bitcoin. Bitcoin is for anyone. It's a technology um, and the technology works regardless. I mean, it even it, sorry, but uh, Bitcoin also works for dictators. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's uh, that's the nature of it. Yeah. It's like the Internet. It also works for everyone uh, and mm -hmm. it should. And um, I would wish. In a way that. More people, I think I, I try to do it the best way I can to stand, stay very neutral. If you follow my Twitter uh, profile and my tweets or X's or how they are called now, um, then uh, you will see that I really try to stay out of this tribalism and this religious aspect of Bitcoin um, and calling me Maxi or a pleb. Uh, no, thank you. Because that immediately puts you in the same corner uh, like people who have like, really right-wing things they believe or they are very conservative and have problems with uh, abortion rights or with rights of uh, uh, people like LGBT people and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, I'm always appalled and uh, I don't get it how Bitcoiners even uh, can think that it's okay to have a gun, but it's not okay for a woman to have control over her own body. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, uh, but you know, that's also a very U.S. American thing. 
Um, sadly, yeah. uh, this is spilling over to many African countries where you have worse uh, uh, laws against uh, LGBTIQ groups than ever before because it's not a thing that African countries actually had. They, they mm-hmm. I mean, we, I want to say, um, were at totally accepted group and that's a very western thing uh to to hate on on lesbians and gays and such and they are the oh my god how is this called sündenböcke um scapegoats yeah in yeah. in in many many countries and that's sad to see and um it's even more sad to see um a few i don't know who wouldn't say many but uh voices on Twitter in the Bitcoin space who really also pressure that idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that, um, gays are pedophiles and things like that. And uh, I want to distance myself from that. And that's why I'm so loud about and why I now also on in Prague on stage said one reason for me, why I'm a Bitcoiner is I'm a lesbian and I don't need to say that. I don't want people to know what my sexuality or my preferences are. It's not interesting, but in that case, I want to be a signal for those who need to hear that, that there are Mm -hmm. people like me in the Bitcoin and we are Bitcoiners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I think Bitcoin is exactly for those who are in the minority, who are being oppressed. It gives them a voice and freedom and power. And and that's why I do it. And I, and I think it's super commendable and not that anyone ever has to say these these personal stories. But I think one of the unfortunate realities and the only reason I talk about it, like I am very left, very progressive in the U.S., live in New England, which is a relatively progressive area in the U.S. outside of Boston. And in Mm -hmm. my daily life, in my nonprofit work, diversity, equity, inclusion, working amongst the LGBTQ community, not all all of this has been an ever-present part of my life for over a decade. So coming into Bitcoin and seeing that that was different um, made me more adamant about, all right, I want to present my voice here so that other people can see that, okay, Bitcoin is not just blank, whatever they think it is. Like Bitcoin yeah. is, and my intention has never been to make Bitcoin political, to make it about these issues, but Bitcoin mm-hmm. already has been made political in the real world. Mm-hmm. So my goal is to come in to, to spread more diverse thought about that so we can get back to, and in tandem, talk about the issues like we spent the majority of this podcast talking about, which are mm-hmm. the important issues, while also mentioning Listen, um, so, so Ted Cruz is a very polarizing figure in the United States in terms of like himself as a politician. In my neck of the woods in New England, a conservative politician like that would be a turnoff for many people. Ted Cruz using Bitcoin should not limit or hinder your use or advocacy of Bitcoin. Those are two very different things. So I want people mm-hmm. to understand that people who you don't like are going to use and advocate for Bitcoin. And by the way, many of them advocating for Bitcoin who are politicians might not actually be into Bitcoin. They might just be trying to get votes from the left or the right, uh, whatever the case may be. But we talk about this uh, to say Bitcoin is this neutral monetary technology. It's political in the sense that it's giving more power to the people. That's a political action, a very progressive and left action as well. But we talk about it because too many people think that Bitcoin in the U.S. is a is a right wing phenomenon, mm-hmm. and so I, I'm here and t- and and talk with guests when it makes sense um, to say it it is not, and it and it I, drives me. Uh, yeah, it's it's the same in Austria and Germany, but I have to say it's also interesting to see that, for instance, in Germany, 
only the AfD, which is a very right-wing, very, very right-wing party in Germany, is speaking openly in supporting Bitcoin, about supporting Bitcoin. Mm. And that's also, I mean, of course, of course, the the public or the media then believes it's a right-wing tool, yeah? Yeah. Um, um, Which is not, we know that, but it will take time, I guess. I mean, for me, and it sounds like you you are the same. I don't need politicians in Bitcoin. I don't need that. Yeah. I just want nope. people to use it. That's what yeah. we're here for. It's exactly. money for the people. Yeah. 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 Oh, anyway. Um, that was a good because I'll say, and that's the reason I opened this conversation with like, I know you've had to see a lot, A, throughout your life, but B in the Bitcoin space. And yet you you are so laser focused on like this is why I'm here, this is what I'm doing speaking up when it makes sense and, and when it, when it's the right moment to be in, uh, to be a voice for, for that group. Um, but one other thing I will say, because I've, I've been trying to do more, more research about it. And I think it will happen, um, in, in terms of censorship and things like that. Also in the United States, one of the things that got a worldwide uh, phenomena really was the trucker protest in Canada, mm-hmm. right? When they were, um, closing bank accounts and tracking, uh, Bitcoin addresses and, and all of these different things as well. And, doing very totalitarian action against this group. A lot of uh, my progressive group and friends would have seen that as like, okay, that was a crazy right-wing movement. That's the way it was talked Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. without understanding the implications of like, oh, that was kind of wrong. And the way I try to frame it is imagine if you are running an abortion clinic, imagine if you're uh, running a a local Black Lives Matter chapter in Boston or in Austin, Texas or Miami, Florida, wherever, um, and they do the same thing, right? Whatever is done to that group you disagree with, they can. that means they can also do it to your group. So I'm also trying to have conversations like that uh, on this podcast with progressive friends, whoever, to say these things are wrong and here's why, because they can also do that to you. Because right now in the US, we have uh, for whatever people think, like more kind of a left uh, Democrat in terms of parties. And we're not a Democrat podcast. We talk to anybody like this is we're talking about progressive values. It's outside of politics or political parties. Um, but it's been typically Democrats, quote unquote, in in charge in the US in terms of policies. But let's say that flips again. A lot of these places that have been homes and, and safe havens federally for LGBTQ populations, trans rights, for abortion clinics, those can really, really be called into question under a different administration. And so I've been trying to talk with some of these groups. Uh, especially gay activists, and I haven't seen much out there in terms of Bitcoin and gay activism mm-hmm. as a tool for uh, maybe at some point because that sh- that that tide has been um, it's been very uncertain in the United States with certain groups that are very very opposed to these types of activists having their voice or accessing healthcare or all of these other things that are deeply important to to me and friends I know and and things like that. I've been trying to talk to them about Bitcoin and it hasn't been clicking, and some of them are allowing right-wing politics to get in the way of understanding how Bitcoin can be mm-hmm. a tool for them. So that's mm-hmm. also been deeply concerning to me. And they are spinning up different crypto projects, actually, to support <laughs> things or like different shit coins <laughs> to say, this is the like LGBTQ shit coin um, that if you, if you research and Google it, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. I, I'm not gonna, I don't want to platform those things here mm-hmm. in terms of these speculative coins um, that don't have de- decentralized authority. But I, I'm, I want groups like that to get Bitcoin and I, and I hope it will happen at some point and I'll do what I can to try to continue pressing on that. But it's, it's still needed here um, in some of those contexts for freedom. 
Mm-hmm. You're everywhere. I mean, and and you men- mentioned the trucker protests. I mean, uh, it's the same for me, and that's why I mentioned uh, my the history and my grandparents uh, at the beginning, because that's what I've learned that powers can change very very suddenly, and technology mm-hmm. or tools that you first found completely okay because they are against your opponents, and yes, that's not okay what they do. So yes, we do that. We use that tool against them. The next day, it can be used against yourself, and yeah. I think that's that's what many people. I don't know why they don't see it, but uh, it had ha- has happened. And as we know, history rhymes and it repeats itself in a way. Yeah, yeah, it, it's very unfortunate. We'll keep beating that drum, as I know you will, on your end. Um, in in wrapping up here, I want to make sure that people know where to access resources, know where to get, you've mentioned a lot of different things. We'll be sure to put it in the show notes, but sometimes people don't read those. So um, to direct people where to go and to where to find you and um, the different groups you're working with, what's the best place for people to go? So the best place is basically my newsletter. It's a free newsletter once a week. Um, and it's at anita.link slash news. Uh, you can subscribe to them. And then my new program is called Crack the Orange and it's cracktheorange.com. Um, as I said before, builders and uh, aspiring educators who can't afford can apply for a scholarship. And then basically it's my, my website, anitaposch.com. And my Twitter handle is also my name, Anita Posh with a C in between the S and the H. Mm, excellent. Well, Anita, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for being a voice. You were one of the early voices for me to be interested in Bitcoin and to see, oh, this is something I, with my values, uh, can get into. Mm-hmm. And I think you've done that for hundreds of thousands of people. Wow. Um, so I want to I want to thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I, I truly think, because I think there are a lot of people that peripherally see your resources and see your name globally, right? There's a lot of folks in the US, a lot of folks in Europe. Um, and, and I think it's paying dividends and doing incredible, incredible work. And so thank you for all you do. And if there's anything we can do, you know, from my end, the progressive Bitcoiner, um, you know how to reach us. Um, and I'm just very honored for you to jump on this podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much for the invitation, Trey, and all the best also to you. And I hope maybe we'll meet in person one day. Yes, I would love that. And I would love to, whether it be Zimbabwe, Austria, the US, um, Actually, I'm, I'm hoping are, to get all uh, you said You said you are in New England because I'm coming to the US in September. So, But uh, I won't be in New England. <laughs> uh, well, I'm hoping to bring a bit more of Bitcoin specifically to Boston area. Boston is a very highly educated place, very blockchain crypto. Try, you know, Austin and Nashville get all the love, but uh, New York, I know PubKey and there's been <laughs> many other places. Austin and Nashville are exactly the, the cities where I'm going. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. Which hey, makes it, there's a lot of Bitcoin creators out there and awesome stuff happening. I want to see more of that up here. So, I, um, um, but yes, we. I would love to cross paths at some point. Um, and, and thank you so much, Anita. Thank you.